This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hey, friends. Hey there. You are here, and we are also, Uh and you're about ready to hear Dan and Amanda Sadler talk about church planning in New York City. Dan and Amanda are beautiful, wonderful people. Dan's been a coach with the Gravity for a while, and they're doing great work in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But before we get there, Tents and churches. Before we get there, uh, I am I'm juiced. Yeah, I'm like geeked. you had some juice this morning. Nope, no, uh, these are. Oh, it's a metaphor. This is how the kids talk it's about metaphor. being excited. I see. You didn't take any uh, HGH. That's not what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm juicing. I'm juicing. My home <laughs> that, run. My home run production is going to go way up this way year. Up. No, I'm so excited. We launched our membership platform on Patreon this past week. We've yeah. had. Uh, it's been live for three days. We have 14 patrons already. Yeah, it's great. And uh, that's that's what has me juiced. Yeah. As of this recording, uh, yeah, 14 people on board. Uh, looking forward to more. Um, why why are you juiced about that? Because we've been looking for ways to. Um, extend the community and and create uh, value and connection and belonging to people that resonate with the work we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to do that when we're spread out all over the world. We yeah. work with people all over the world. And I think this platform gives us a chance to create a, a much more intimate, um, yeah. generative community yeah. of people and for us to share resources that are really hard to share publicly. Yeah, right? meaning the practitioner podcast is what you're oh, talking about yeah, there, right? Yeah. Specifically. Yeah, so so much of the stuff that we do deals with people, real people, real uh, situations and because yeah. we're trying to honor people or maintain confidentiality, yeah. uh, we we just can't talk about a lot of it. Mm. But but without telling and sharing stories about these things, it's really hard to craft an imagination for how to practice the things we yeah, yeah. We were just we were just talking with somebody, just recorded another podcast episode. We were talking about this, where it is uh it is the the kind of training that we do is not the kind of thing where you can explain how to do it and then you go apply it's not like step one, two, three, four, five. No. Every situation's different. It demands tactical wisdom, it demands sort of a a conversation, a discernment that happens just nitty-gritty on yep. the ground. And the more stories we can share the more people are actually able to grab hold of what we're trying to help them grab hold of. Yes. It's helpful for us as well. So we're looking for the practitioner podcast because it's uh, only going to be released to, um, you know, uh, a select, patrons. yeah, patrons, right. Uh, folks who support us um, and partner with us in that way. It allows us to be a little bit more vulnerable and open about some of these stories that are so helpful for people really being able to live out practically this yeah. kinds of stuff that we're, talking about right now we're uh doing an ongoing story about how i've been interacting with a narcissist 
<laughs> and um, which, we, which we just discovered. How yeah. triggering that's been for me mm-hmm. because of my past spiritual abuse kind of things I've dealt with. Mm-hmm. But how I am like I'm I'm not patting myself on the back. <laughs> I'm giving glory to God. Uh, I have been dealing with this so much differently. And yeah. uh, I'm it, like yeah. I'm blessed by it, and uh-huh. I know that um, if you're in America and you're in church leadership and you're breathing, you're probably intersecting with a narcissist at this point. Yeah. And it's really hard to take like 14 steps on how to reset your router slash deal with a narcissist and yeah. just plug them in, right? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but we get a chance to share about that in a little more of a safe environment. It's like sitting in a living room together. So anyway, all that to say, uh, congratulations to me and. <laughs> Glory to God. Glory to God. God. And uh, if you've thought about becoming a patron, now's the time to do it. We, yeah. We're dealing... We're, the second tier is where um, you get the access to the uh, practitioner podcast. Yeah. For a limited time, it's $15 instead of $20 a month. Yep. Uh, it is so worth it. Yeah. This is so much better than a premium Hulu subscription. Uh, <laughs> my wife just started watching... Um, the OC on Hulu. Oh, yeah. Love you, honey. And uh, we have a free, we have a, like a free membership through yeah. our cell phone company. Yeah. Uh, but I'll just say that the Practitioner podcast is better than the OC. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, with that endorsement, why wouldn't you become a patron? And now on to yeah, Dan yeah. and Amanda. Yeah, right, yes. Well, somebody <laughs> apparently outside, it's a beautiful day, and so we've got the windows open, which isn't good podcasting etiquette because I don't know if you guys can hear the lawnmower or some sort of machine that just started. Somebody decided to till their front yard and plant a garden. <laughs> Right, right now, right, the entire, right outside the house, <laughs> Matt's front yard. Anyway, so uh, that, I'm taking that as our cue we should get to out. get out. Yeah, get us uh, out. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to this uh, this interview with Dan and Amanda. Yep. Enjoy it. Peace, friends. Bye bye. All right. Well, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I just kicked something. Okay. Hey, I'm your host, Matt Tebby. I'm calm, collected, composed, leading this uh, podcast solo today. And I'm with my friends. I've actually, have I been in that apartment, you guys? Or did you move? We moved. You yeah. moved. This is a different apartment. Yeah. I've been in an apartment. Uh, I'll be honest. They lived in a, in a, what was it? Like 17th floor apartment in Roosevelt, Roosevelt Island. Uh, Manhattan, and I was on your balcony, and I was having heart palpitations. <laughs> you were a little scared, man. I was a little. Well, I'm I am 43, so you know I get scared of things like really loud bass and uh, staircases, <laughs> and um, kids. yeah, you were you were white knuckling that railing. Kids, I remember that. kids on my lawn. I don't like that either. But I was really scared. Like I don't. I'm just a. I'm not a. I'm a suburban boy. Anyway, our friend, my friend, our friends, Amanda and Dan Sadler. Are with us today. How are you guys doing? Good. We're good. Good. We're good. Good. I've referenced already. You live in Manhattan. I want to uh, hear more of your story, uh, but I just want to say that Dan is one of our Gravity Leadership coaches. He leads cohorts, the Gravity Leadership Academy, and he's done that for us for now at four years, Dan. Yeah. Yep. Yep. About and, four years, and it's awesome. Um, Anyway, so hopefully um, some of you who are listening may have already been in a cohort, Dan, and you'll appreciate the dulcet tones of Dan uh, between my whines and screeches. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, actually, you know, we have a, we have another one that's starting up here in the next month. So oh. if there's anybody out there. Yeah. You, oh, you're doing a gravity one in the next month. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I, 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 he's making a pitch. I, <laughs> I probably should know these things. Bunch of church planners. Bunch of church plant folk. Well, that's good. Um, thanks for introducing that. We are talking about church planning today. Uh, Amy, Amanda and Dan have been in Manhattan planning a church and now a network of churches for six years. So we want to have a conversation about what you've learned, where the sort of the culture or the state of church planning in America is at, and maybe propose some ways uh, towards a greater faithfulness and a greater um, usefulness to uh, the kingdom of God. But first, uh, Amanda, tell us where you came from. You guys weren't born and raised in Manhattan, eh? No, no, we're we're Midwest folks, um, and so we, yeah, we were a part of a very large church in um, the Metro Detroit area that I actually started attending when I was eleven years old. So I kind of grew up in that church. It was a church plant um, that had then 
became a church planting church. They were sending people out all over. Um, it's where I came to think. Yeah, all over the country, all oh. over the world. Um, and so when we were in our late teens, early 20s, we started um, working there in different capacities on staff. Um, just kind of always going, what, what is it, God, that you have for us? And uh, how is it that we can um, best serve you in this context? And so um, we worked there for a little over 10 years. Um, okay. Did you get, were you official? You have official titles, Amanda, Dan? <laughs> I had like 10 titles while I was there. No. I mean, I did youth ministry. I, I produced, it was a high arts church. And so we had um, lots of video and, you know, did all the covers song stuff. And so I would produce those services. Yeah. Um, we were part of, as like, as the church started campusing, we were part of, um, I would be like a service director at a campus. Um, yeah, I always, I was always functioning as a teaching pastor and then also overseeing next gen stuff. Dan is like the Pied Piper of children. He, um, any chance he can have to hang with kids. He's I like, honestly, this last week thought to myself, I might quit this whole church planning thing and just be a youth pastor. Again. <laughs> well, you guys are trying to, you have, wait, you have 16 kids. How many kids do you have now? No, about, no. Yeah. It feels like it. <laughs> Small New York apartment. We have six children. Six children um, in a 1100 square foot apartment. I don't know. Something yeah, like that. Probably. <laughs> We, we take advantage of vertical space. So it's all about how you can stack people. Triple bunk beds, buddy. People and things. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Okay, so you're in this Midwest church. Dan is teaching the word. Uh, Amanda's producing everything. And uh, t- take us, walk us from how you are there to where you get the idea and the gumption and the chutzpah, as they say, mm-hmm. to move to New York City and plant a church. Yikes. Um, and <laughs> we always laugh because we're like, well, this was the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> taking a family of, at the time, seven to the most expensive city that we knew of. Um, I mean, it really started. We, we uh, The Metro Detroit area, obviously, you have the city of Detroit, which at that point in time was, I think, still 88% African-American, which was about 15 minutes from us. Wait a second. Wait a second. 88%? I think it was pretty high. I've never heard that before. Yeah, yeah, it was high. Yeah, I mean, the black-white divide in in Detroit, and Metro Detroit, was extreme, Mm. um, especially as we were growing up. Um, And Mm. so it was like here you had this uh, suburban church that we were a part of, um, and Detroit was really going through some some tough times, and, and it was bleeding out into the suburbs, but there was no connection or collaboration. There was no, that whole eight mile divide thing, you know, that Eminem talks about, like, it's yeah. a real deal. Okay. You just, those worlds didn't intersect, mm. um, which I think in us, there was this growing desire to see how is it that we can actually engage our city and, and engage who's around us um, and not just kind of live in our, our little suburban bubble. Um, yeah. And the suburbs started to diversify. Um, and what was interesting at that point in time, and I know it's changed a bit at this church uh, today, but at that point in time, the church was not following suit. And so everything around it was diversifying, but that church was largely staying upper middle class and, and white. Yeah. And so I just remember I would teach, I would teach on the weekends, whether it was adult or students and, and be asking them to go back into their workplaces and asking them to go back into their schools to engage those that are sitting next to them in a cubicle or at a desk and invite them back into the church community, knowing that the people that were sitting next to him in those other spaces outside of the church mm. were either Southeast Asian or Chinese or African-American. And there was no way they were going to feel comfortable coming back into a Christian community that looked so different than them. Yeah. So that, that started our process of going, man, I wonder if, if our family needs to be in a place where we're learning from different people groups um, submitting to different types of leadership um, and, and trying to do a little bit more uh, multicultural uh, ministry. Okay. So the economic downturn, the diversification of the suburbs kind of broke the attractional model of your church. And you guys had a bit of disquiet or disease there. 
And so did you just throw a dart at the map? I mean, did you just pick the most diverse oh city gosh. in America? How, how'd you end up in New York? <laughs> Pretty much. I, it was a dart situation. No, we had, uh, I mean, just sort of to be honest, we, we really thought we were going to plant in the city of Detroit. I mean, that was kind of our, we felt like, okay, I think maybe this could happen. Um, the, the type of church that we were at in the suburbs, there hadn't been anything like that. And so we knew that well, and we thought, wow, what could this be like in the city? And moved down there, moved, moved into the city proper for a bit. We're connecting with leaders that were already there and doing great work and, um, and really felt like um, before we purchase a house here, before we really put our roots down, we just want to feel confirmation from God. Um, and so anytime we'd been to another city around the world, we went to Durban, South Africa one time going, Lord, do you want us to come and plant yeah, we, here? We had a lot of people asking us to plant in different cities. Well, and so, of course you did. You guys are like a power couple. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> we're so awesome. Um, <laughs> but we would always had the sense of go home. Like, go home, go home. Like, we'd be like here. Like, this would be so cool. What a, you know, what a sexy story to be. Here. And it was like, go home. And so mm. before we bought this house and really put down roots, we said, you know, let's just hear that one more time. Like, let's be smart and just hear, let's just have that little bit of confirmation. And so we said, well, what's the biggest city, cheapest flights that we can book in two days uh, to, to just hear that one more time? We were, we were actually getting ready to close on a house in the city Like the inspection was done, like literally yeah. like this, it was, we had a closing date. And was, I just, I just sensed, no, one more, let's go and make sure that the that we are, we are, we are really <laughs> awake to the presence of Jesus in our lives. This is a, yeah. And so we, we came to New York. We'd never been here. Um, and it was wild because it wasn't so much like, Oh, I've got to be in New York. We just both really sensed it's not Detroit. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to be in Detroit. And then we were like, Oh no, now what? Like, what do we do now? Because this is not, this is, wasn't supposed to happen. Like we were all ready. This yeah. is going to be great. Um, and so, and then it was just one of those things where I, I'm not a huge fan of people talking about, and then God opened doors, you know, but it was like the next six months, the, coincidences that happened um, where these random connections to New York and these certain people and places kind of just kept happening and happening to where we went, Oh my gosh, I think we have to look at new New York city. That's so stupid. Um, Hmm. And, uh, and then really said, okay, God, if this is what you want for us, then you need to make it clear through provision, through people we can learn from, through people who will send us out. And then within the following six months that, that all kind of fell into place. And we went, oh, I think, we're, I think this is happening. We went, I think we're going. We looked at our five kids and went, uh, dang, <laughs> I think we're going to New York. So. <laughs> okay. So you guys, you take your five kids, you move to New York city. You're you're planning a church. Uh, tell me, tell me what you didn't know that New York City has taught you about church planning. <sighs> you go first. <laughs> I mean, I feel like is there anything I did know? <laughs> mm. There's um, ha, man. I think um, you know it was interesting because we were at such a large church. We were. We were upfront people uh, where people would come in and they would, you know, be inspired. They'd be moved and they'd maybe come and tell us how wonderful we were and then go out. And I never had to walk with people really in their life, not, you know, the regular folk. And so coming to New York um, and planting a church in a very diverse uh just a hard city. I mean, life is everything about life is hard. Getting your groceries is hard here. Mm. Um, it takes more time. It costs more money. Um, someone will cuss you out potentially just on the way. <laughs> um, just for good measure, just for good measure, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but walking through life with people, um, and the toll that that takes, um, to really be in people's lives. Yeah. Um, and actually pastor them and actually teach them what it means to live um, 
according to the kingdom. Like that is, that is way different than where we came from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's, there was a few, I remember I asked a, a pastor in New York city here, we were still in Detroit. We were getting ready to move. And I said, Hey, what is, what are the most important things that I should know coming into the, to the city of New York, trying to start a church and in my mind as somebody that had been a part of starting a bunch of campuses in Metro Detroit, mm-hmm. there was a part of me that was like, I, I kind of know what you're going to say here, man, but <laughs> just I want to be teachable. So, um, and I remember the things that I had in my mind were strategy, preaching, small group development, discipleship pathways, get in person from the crowd to the core, like all that really good language. Oh yeah. And, and I remember this person saying, uh, bro, the spiritual gift of faith, intercessory prayer and fasting. (laughs) And I just went, Oh man, do I even follow Jesus? Like that was, (laughs) but that I think, I think that the raw practices of, of, of Jesus in the Mm. first church Mm. uh, in a context like New York Mm. are that much more pressing. Um, I did not realize how much in the Midwest we had benefited from the homogenous principle as well. Um, And tell us what the homogenous principle is. I like, like attracts like, so, uh, you know, what we, we would have said back then um, that our target uh, would have been a 35 year old guy with a few kids. And if we would have been even more intentional and specific, we probably would have had to say white guy yeah. because of where we were. Um, well, you end up attracting those people. And once you hit a critical mass point, you, you kind of get a wave of, of those types of folks and it grows faster because it's easy. Uh, there's an affinity there. Yeah. And, uh, and we've talked about this before with gravity, but, but the, the sh- when you're in a diverse community, a really diverse community, socioeconomically, um, ethnically, culturally, culturally, I mean, all of it, right. You, there is a, you, you can't lean on affinity anymore. Yeah. You have to shift from affinity-based ministry to affection-based ministry, and it is much slower, hmm. and it is much more messy, um, and you are diving deep, like Amanda said, into uh, people's lives, their mental illness, um, hmm. their, I mean, I mean, all of it, family of origin stuff. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't realize how much emotional health and understanding emotional health and formation in the context of emotional health would be important hmm. in, the, in a diverse context. So there was so much that I, I didn't know and still I'm scratching my head trying to figure out <laughs> what we're doing. Here. Yeah. Yeah. So what I heard you say, uh, Amanda was I, you knew how to do ministry from a platform, but not on yeah. the, not on the sidewalk. Yeah. Um, or, or in a, um, in a living room. And you had to learn real quick that uh, hundreds of people aren't going to come and praise you for your great sermon. Uh, nope. Maybe maybe not even dozens. <laughs> I had one person like a, a few weeks ago say something nice, and I was like, oh, that never happens. <laughs> you keep talking to me. This is so great right now. <laughs> what does it mean? Yeah, and then, Dan, what I heard you say is that uh, the, the growth you experienced— uh, in the suburbs of Detroit, uh, you're noticing or realizing how much it traded off of this homogenous principle. And if you don't have that, if you've got, I don't know how many ethnicities or language groups you have within like a square mile of your house, but it has to be uh, into the hundreds, um, yeah. right? Uh, when you don't have hom- uh, homogeneity to to grow your church by, you actually have to learn how to love. Like there's, there's no other choice. Nope. No. And that, and I, and I'm, I think from a formation standpoint for us, that's been incredible to, to, to understand the importance and the potency of making disciples who make disciples without a platform. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think that's one of those things when the Western church figures out how to make disciples without the platform, the church is going to be at its strongest. Mm. 
church programs will be at its strongest. When the church doesn't need its programs to make disciples, make disciples, the church is, that's, that's when it will really become kind of the exponential growth that we're seeing in, in other parts of the world. This podcast sponsored by Exponential. Um, uh, <laughs> no, uh, speaking, speaking of church planning, right, Dan? Way to go! Way to, yeah. way to way to work in that uh, sponsor placement there effortlessly. Uh, uh, well, so t- so there's pastors listening, and maybe even people listening, who all they have are platform and programs to make disciples, and they they do notice some bl- uh, blessing and breakthrough. But uh, I hear from people all the time who are like, you know, I don't know if the platform and the program are the best vehicles to make disciples or to grow to grow the church or to help the church become uh, who they are in Christ. So tell us a little bit about how ministry is structured for y'all. I know you just made a shift. Amanda, I'd love for you to tell us about that. You went from yeah. one church to two, yeah? And yeah. tell us about how that's structured first, and then maybe Dan share a little bit about if you're not using the, the, the platform and the program, well, how the heck are you doing it? <laughs> right. Okay, so how things are structured, and this is fun because you can watch in real time uh, to see that we don't know what we're doing. Uh, we've got some, we've got some, we, we're all about experimentation. We're the people who moved five children to, uh, yeah, to New York City. And then got a sixth while you were there. You know. Yeah. Just to add to the fun. <laughs> that almost broke us, buddy. <laughs> yes. True story. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, so we, um, I mean, Dan for sure has the, uh, spiritual gift of an apostle. I mean, he just, he sees things and sees fresh or, you know, open ground. And it's like, he's going to go there. Like he, he starts like, that's just who he is. Um, and so we started this church and it's, it's been stirring in him <laughs> to continue uh, to start it. And I think what's happened here um, and where we've been able to experience that ministry, that sidewalk ministry, that ministry that can span culture. And he's like, I don't, that's too good to keep in one place. Like, mm. let's, let's, let's send that out. Um, I though have been, I mean, we've been doing ministry together for 17 years now. Uh, and I kind of have always gone, yeah, sure. Whatever new ground you want to take, I'm here with you. Like I fill in the holes. I, Hmm. I kind of just keep the pieces together. Which are There's big holes. Let's be clear about that. (laughs) (laughs) Professional size holes. I'm trying Uh, to be nice. Okay. So you're saying that you're saying that Dan's ministry has an Amanda shaped hole at its heart. (laughs) Yes. Yes, yes, it does. Um, So, but over the course of these last couple of years, um, I actually took a couple, uh, I took two years and stepped off of our church staff here Hmm. because we'd been kind of, I don't know if enmeshed might be too far, but we'd always been doing, and I was kind of going, well, who am I? And what is it that God's calling me to? And, you know, I've been in ministry my whole life and yet I have pushed against, definitely have pushed against the word pastor's wife. Um, but, but (laughs) yeah, yes, you have. Um, but also any sort of formal pastoral leadership, I think I just, I was, hadn't seen it done, um, from women. Okay. And so, but, but over the course of that time where I stepped away, kind of asking the question, God, what is it that you have for me? I really felt like he, um, confirmed, and affirmed uh, the giftings that he's given me to teach and to lead and to pastor. Um, and so we said, well, this is crazy. And again, not we've not seen this done, but what if Dan goes and plants another church and I become the lead pastor of this current one? Um, and so over the course of the last eight months, we've been making that transition Um and I was formally installed as the lead pastor here by our denomination in May, um, which was super cool and weird. Um, and now, uh, and yeah, now Dan has been released to go and start this new thing. So yeah. we're, we are very much the same network. We're planning things together. We're trying to figure things out. He's in the very beginning stages still of this new church plant, starting weekly services in the fall. Um, but that day-to-day ministry, we're focusing now in two different places. Um, 
Yeah, so and this, it, I think this is pretty unique, Amanda. I don't know, I haven't met another husband and wife who they pastor two different campuses of the same church. Um, I'm sure either. they, I'm sure they exist. <laughs> yes. And that's what you were saying. Like there wasn't a model for this and you almost had to be, you almost had to hear the Lord say it over and over and over again to step into it. Yeah. Can you give us like geographically, these two churches aren't that far apart, right? No. Like you could walk no. from where one meets to another meets in 30 minutes, 40 minutes? Yeah, yeah about yeah. 30. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, yeah. So Roosevelt, Roosevelt Island is in the middle of the East River. And uh, so you can take a train uh, to Sunnyside where we're starting a second in 15, 20 minutes. Uh, car rides, 15 minutes. You can walk there in about 25, 30. So why, why then plant another church? Why not just get those people across the bridge, pack it out, build it up, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think what we're seeing already is that uh, we're, we're making space for developing leaders. Um, I think I think that's one of the things that when when you step in in obedience to what God is asking you to do, like Amanda has, and I'm trying to right now, uh, inevitably what happens is a bunch of people who were a little bit more uh, sidelined um, and didn't need to step in as strong lay leaders. Um, they just are. Um, so that's, that's part of it. The other part we're always looking to, I'm looking at where God is actually moving and doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, and how I can possibly join God in that. And, and we had a couple really sweet people of peace in this neighborhood, hmm. um, who just said, I want who shouldn't have been in a place to say, come and start a new church because this person was a pastor of a, of a newer church. Oh. Uh, and, but they were like, yep, please come and have leveraged their resources. Um, and so I'm always looking for people of peace, yeah. uh, Christian or non-Christian. And that was happening in that place. Yeah. And one of the things I was visiting y'all last fall, we hosted a prayer school there on Roosevelt Island. I think that was last fall. I can't keep track of my dates. I think so too, yeah. And uh, one of the things that we I noticed is uh, Roosevelt Island has a definitive sense of place. Like there mm-hmm. are there are people that live there and they it's their place and they claim yeah. it and own it, even though there's a transitory nature of life in New York City. But you have people that have been there for years. You introduced me to several people, Dan. You're like this, you know, this lady is the. She's the pit boss of this corner, and you know this guy's. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically, that's what you're saying. Uh, and so, I, I wonder too, how did place play in? Like, you, you you're planning a church in Queens, is that right? Yep. And you have one in Roosevelt Island. Um, did, is place more important than maybe you thought in the boroughs of New York City? Yeah, I mean, I do think, I, I think place totally matters um, because. I'm interested. And there's a lot of churches that are more regional um, in the city uh, where they're pulling people from, you know, the outer boroughs into Manhattan. Um, But one of the most beautiful things is when someone figures out what does it mean for me to follow Jesus right here in my neighborhood? Um, And so I'm not just going somewhere. I'm not I'm almost not outsourcing my, my faith to this other borough, but it's like, no, I'm, I'm figuring out right here so that it's impacting my walk to the subway and the encounters that I have, um, yeah. my interactions with the people at the deli. And the, I mean, it's just, it's a, it yeah. allows people to actually like put, put feet on it in their own neighborhood where they, they live and do their life all the time. Yeah. In New, New York's an interesting place because there is such from people that have lived here for a few decades or more there is such a rich sense of place this is your neighborhood this is your bodega this is your you know this is your school Uh, we got a guy right now in sunnyside who's in his 40s who is about to plant this church with us in the public school that he went to elementary school in yeah um and so there is a rich sense of place but the transiency of it has continued to increase and I think that's what's that's what's interesting. And it doesn't really matter where you go in New York City, what borough right now, the transience is through the roof. And mm-hmm. so that that has carried over, I think, into Christianity in the city, where people are so used to going from one apartment in one neighborhood to the next apartment in another neighborhood that they've now adopted the transient nature to where they eat. 
and where they go to church. And, and so I think that's that's kind of the paradox of as neighborhood-based as New York has been, it also is such a transient place where uh, where it's it's carried it over into the church, where we have people living on Roosevelt Island that have gone to church in Times Square or in Brooklyn or in on you know or on the Upper West Side for the last five years and are completely detached from their neighborhood and their neighbors here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a yeah it's a it's an interesting tension to try and navigate. Sure. So tell us then why you've chosen to to you, I mean you mentioned putting kind of your stake in the ground with developing leaders and making disciples and doing that in in two churches that are maybe smaller and more located uh, geographically Im- embedded rather than you know it's New York City is a city of Broadway right so just create the next Lion King church and get all people to take the train and come to, you know, the, the Dan yeah. and Amanda Sadler show. So, Which would be really fun. I don't know if anyone would come. But sure. Well, if you, uh, please uh, email the podcast, podcast at gravityleadership.com. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think tickets are half price. If you're, uh, we'll give you a coupon yeah. code at the end. No, so Dan, why, or Amanda, why, why that? Why, you know, why do it that way? I think it was, I mean, I think it was kind of what I was saying of the thing that was most surprising to me, um, just the access to people's lives. Um, it's intense, hmm. <laughs> super intense. But I think once, once you've experienced that, I'm like, I can't go back. Hmm. Like there's, there's something now that I've experienced a depth of, a depth of my own faith of, um, a depth of relationship that I, I don't think I can go back to being so disconnected um, from the people that God has called us to lead and to care for. Um, I just, I wouldn't be satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be knowing something was missing and something was off. Um, hmm. Yeah. And I think this may sound a little bit selfish, but I, you know, the Lord may ask us to, to move out of the city at any point, um, but that is not my desire. My desire is, is to, to be in this city over the long haul. And so if I'm going to do ministry in this city, I want to do ministry in this city in places and with people who are hoping to be in it for the long haul. Like at the end of the day, what brings me joy isn't that there's another church. What brings me joy is that the church is functioning like an extended family that's fighting against some of the transiency. Yeah. Um, and that is going, no, we're going to commit. We're going to, we're going to dig our, our roots down deep. We're going to learn from people that have been here longer. Um, and, and, and really just be a people here connected to the place here. And so yeah. I think just for my sake, it, I've had to learn. I've had to learn how to not callous myself to all of the people that come in and out of our church because of the transient nature, while still driving towards the desire of no, I want to be here and I want to be selfish and have people that are in this with me over the long haul who see my kids grow up, who are who are here to see me get old. I mean, that's that's where the joy comes from, and I know that this city is not. Uh, perfect for that, yeah. but that's that's how much more radical I think the church can look in this city yes. if it drives towards that permanency in place. Yeah, yeah, man that that reminds me of some of Paul's epistles and his the missional strategy of you know the way he describes the way he uh, reinterprets household codes to help uh, husband and wives Christian husband and wives live in a way that is redemptive and renewal within an existing system or, or the way he, his missional strategy in Corinth where he doesn't become the latest, greatest philosopher, but he subverts all that and knows nothing but Christ and him crucified. There's a way Paul's missional strategy in different cities, even, even in the city of Rome, uh, when he writes the book of Romans, the way he's just redefining terms like slave and uh, peace and justific justice, all these different Roman things that their culture's built on, and he's wrapping Jesus, them in Jesus and helping this community, this diverse community, live reconciled. Um, so anyway, I just affirm that kind of missional, contextual, theological move, and I think it's, it's powerful, and it's radical, and it's, it's faithful to our story. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Well, maybe maybe uh, as we wrap up, um, there's uh, church planning is big business. Sure is, man. <laughs> you know, making so much money, it's insane. I bet you guys are putting money away for college, whatever, four hundred one ks. There's such a thing as that. <laughs> no, like, what are some of <laughs> what are some of the maybe conventional wisdom? I mean, maybe what are some things that help other church planners in, say, suburban Detroit? that just don't help you at all? And what are some things that you're learning? So this is a two-part question. I'm really good at asking two questions at once. So what are some things that are helpful for other people that just don't help you? And then what are some things you're learning in Manhattan and in Queens that you think could help those suburban church planners? Mm. Um, I mean, I know, I know... You know, I'm in I'm in a lot of conversations and cohorts and communities with different church planters from suburban areas around the U.S. And I th- I honestly think there needs to be a humility, a larger humility from urban pastors and especially bigger global cities like New York, L.A., uh, Boston, San Fran, because usually the posture that we carry is, oh, you just don't know. It doesn't work like that in New York City. And it's like, uh, there are some incredible suburban churches that have contextualized things so well. And, 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 I, and I've just challenged a lot of city pastors to go, hey, uh, you're actually, there's supposed to be a humility where you learn from everybody, even those outside of your context. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm, I'm still learning a lot from them, those uh, suburb pastors. There's, there's usually a lot of the attractional stuff that works in the suburbs that doesn't work here. And part of that is just, again, the homogenous piece where you have so many different worldviews at place that I know my good friend, who's the head of the Islamic society is not going to come to my church service next week because I hand him an invitation with my ice cream cart that I have. Like I, it's it's just not the, the on ramp of relationship, credibility, trust, important spiritual conversations is going to be so much longer and so I, it was even a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting with a cohort of people and they were talking for 45 minutes about the different ice cream carts and ice cream trucks that they're, they're buying and leveraging for their new church plans. They're going to give away free ice cream. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, two things. One, this is brilliant. You're giving away free ice cream throughout the suburbs all summer long with a massive truck that has your logo on it. This is actually going to yield some people at your services. This is great guys. Two, we're on minute 45 talking about an ice cream truck. And all I'm thinking is I have no possible way to park an ice cream truck in New York city. <laughs> I'm not going to get these minutes back. Like, these are gone. <laughs> but, I, but so the attractional stuff usually not always, but usually <clears throat> doesn't have the same effect here in New York yeah. city because of the di- diversity of worldviews and the longer on ramp for relationship and credibility and trust. Hmm. Great, Dan. How about Amanda? How about from you? Oh man, I'm trying to think of what your two questions were again. Exactly. Okay, the yeah. things the things that don't work. Maybe they work for 90 percent of the church plants in America, but they just can't work for you guys. Um, and then the things that you're learning on the ground in Manhattan that you think may benefit people who are planting in other areas. Yeah, um, I think. Um, one of the things like for us, uh, in a city that's so expensive, um, and a city that's so diverse and Dan kind of hinted at it is that how much longer the on-ramp is of relationships. And so a lot of the models, even the ways that organizations are funding new church plants, there's a really short window with this goal of self-sustainability. Like that is what the, the, these are these benchmarks. It's like, we got to get to self-sustainability. And so everything is driving towards that. Um, And if you're actually, if people are coming to faith for the first time, that process um, is really slow and they're reorienting their whole life. And so the idea of that, I mean, they're, they're living oftentimes in these cities in scarcity. You know, they feel like they don't have enough of anything, enough time, enough money, enough. And so to then say, okay, well, you're new to the faith, you've been baptized, but now the expectation is within six months, you're, you know, 
two years, you're going to be able to give enough to sustain this church. Um, it's just unrealistic. Mm. And so I've seen that where, um, where what happens because that model works in the suburbs, um, where the costs are just lower. Um, and so that, that can happen, um, at kind of the pace that it's been set. I've seen many church plants have to close up here because they just couldn't, they couldn't get there soon enough. And so they've done all this incredible work of laying these foundations of relationships, but the, the on-ramp for their, their church itself to be able to function and for them to be able to get paid, you know, and live with, with their family, it's just not long enough. So, um, and yeah, go ahead, Amanda. Sorry. Just, there's just, there's a whole financial piece yeah. to planting in a city that's as expensive. That it's butts and butts, man. Like, yeah. It is. That's still, that is still across all denominations. It still is such a driving factor of how quickly can you get the most people and the most dollars. And it, we gotta, we gotta figure out a way. We gotta figure out a way for something different. Yeah. Well, I mean, Ben and I, you know, we're doing bivocational work. We've and we've mentioned this a couple times on the call. We're we're church planters, and we're our church plant comes from suburbs, urban, even some rural areas. Uh, rural is a really hard word to say when you grew up in Indiana, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, it just says. Uh, anyway, all I have to say is, uh, you know, we have in my family, my wife and I have six independent streams of income. Right, and yeah. so um, we're, we're piecemealing, right. bes- bespoking this income together, so that no one stream holds all the weight. But there, you know, let's say let's say two of the six are really struggling. We still have four, you know, and we can limp along a bit. How do you guys make it work financially? I mean, other than being independently wealthy and <laughs> selling well, plasma, you know, that's actually never. never <laughs> I've heard some. I've actually heard somebody go. This is one of our techniques for for planting. Is we we make sure that the spouse is independently wealthy. <laughs> Write it down, folks. <laughs> so if you're young and you think I might want a church plant someday, just go out there and look for your sugar yeah. daddy, your sugar mama, and you're set. It's yeah. all good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean we're we're very similar now. We we have the same. Maybe one, one two, less. Three, four, five. We have five streams of income. Okay, so you work as a gravity coach, Dan. Yeah, that's like ninety percent of your income, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. No, it's not. Uh, gravity coach. What else? You guys have donors, right? We do. We have donors. We have. Um, we actually uh, we get a subsidy from the state of Michigan because we adopted out of the foster care system. And so as long as our two oldest children are with us, um, that is yep. helpful. Yeah. Uh, both yeah. of our jobs then from the church. Um, We're often contracted by our denomination for different things. So there's some coaching stuff that happens. Um, if anybody's ever like, do you want to do a catering gig? You know, we'll jump in. Yeah. <laughs> No, this is, yeah. So I have people all the time ask me, like, how do I live bivocationally? Um, and they want sort of this, like, they want a prepackaged model. They want like a VBS bivocational pack they can buy from group publishing. And it just doesn't exist, right? Yeah. So your your bivocational reality looks a lot different than mine. Um, right. But it, it's something that we have, you have to carve it out, you have to discern it, and then you have to really work at it, to yeah. really work at it. Um, hey, just to wrap up, how would we connect with y'all? Name the church, maybe website, if we wanted to learn more about what you're doing there in New York. Yeah, there is hopecov.nyc is our website, Hope Covenant Church on Roosevelt Island. So it's H-O-P-E-C-O-V.nyc. Um, and then mosaiccov.nyc is the church that is forming in Queens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then if people wanted, maybe people are listening and they have a heart for what you're doing and their hearts are stirring to partner with you and support you, how would they do that? At either of those websites, um, there's information on how to contact us. 
um, as well as yeah, online. You can always shoot me an email to dan at hopecove.nyc. Yeah. You just my address for where to send me millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> and, um, I'm fine with that. That's that's totally okay. Yeah, you if know? you guys figure out which which of the two of you is going to become independently wealthy, then we can make our checks out to whichever one that's you decide. Right. That's right. I don't right. care. <laughs> Um, no, I'm, I, uh, all joking aside, uh, Dan and Amanda are doing incredible work in New York City, and uh, we've uh, Gravity, obviously, uh, we only have several coaches. Dan is one. Amanda would be two, but she's uh, super busy <laughs> uh, pastoring a church and doing everything else she's doing. But we uh, value them highly. So if, if you're listening and you feel called or stirred to participate in what they're doing or even reach out, you can email them and connect with them that way. Also, Dan, you get that cohort that I didn't know about that you're trying to pull together of church yeah. planners. So if you're a church planner and you're wanting church planner uh, to be with other church planners and go through some Gravity Leadership Academy stuff, you can email dan at dan at gravityleadership.com and get connected there. Yeah? Yep. All right, you guys. I don't know what you've done with your six kids, but I haven't seen them for almost an hour and you you better go track them down. <laughs> They're, they're, they're somewhere. Out, they're out roaming the island, man. Okay, good. Yeah, all right, they're fine then. Put a little sunscreen on. Said, so don't come back. Come <laughs> all right, you guys. Hey, thanks for spending time with us. Thanks for sharing your story. God bless you both. Good to be you with too. you. Good right. to see you. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.